Pierre Polyev and the Conservatives maintain their silence on the nationwide One Million March for Children. Meanwhile, a large number of left-wing politicians, including Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh, have condemned the parental rights protest as quote-unquote hateful. A Sikh separatist on India's most wanted list was murdered in Winnipeg on Wednesday, according to Indian media. Hello Canada, it's Friday, September 22nd, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Cosman Georgia. And I'm William Macbeth. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Conservative leader Pierre Polyev has so far not said a word about Wednesday's nationwide parental rights protests, despite previously expressing support for parental rights. According to the Canadian press, Polyev's office sent out a memo to MPs telling them not to speak to the media or post online about the demonstrations, further instructing them to only reference his past statements on the matter if responding to constituents. So far, Polyev has chosen to tread carefully when it comes to wading into the debate surrounding gender ideology in schools. True North reached out to the Conservatives for comment and clarification on where Polyev stands on the matter and was referred to his past comments also. Several provinces, including Saskatchewan, New Brunswick, and Manitoba, have moved to require schools to inform parents if a child under the age of 16 is undergoing a gender transition or using different pronouns while at school. New Brunswick Premier Blaine Higgs attended a pro-parents protest in Fredericton on Wednesday. So William, what do you make of this conservative silence? Do you expect Polyev to, you know, at least address the march? I mean, this happened across the entire country. So many people were involved and it's becoming hard to ignore. It's an interesting point. If you think back to the Freedom Convoy, which happened in February 2022, he was originally criticized for not coming out and making a bigger statement then. And it was something he had to wear down a bit. And I'm worried, or, or possibly he's worried, that if uh, he goes too far one way or another, he's going to lose supporters on both sides. All that being said, I don't think he can simply not have a position on this without risking alienating a core group of supporters. And also, there's an opportunity for him to possibly win over some new voters. Muslims haven't traditionally been a conservative-leaning group, but possibly there's an opportunity to pursue that now that their traditional base of support, the Liberal Party, has moved so offside on some of these key issues. Do you think the current stance from the Conservatives kind of conflicts with some of the past statements they've made, you know, representing themselves as a grassroots party? Also, you know, telling MPs that they have the freedom of conscience to vote on issues. But here we have the conservatives running quite a tight ship where they're telling MPs, no, don't talk about this. And instead of voicing your own opinion, say what the leader is saying. Because when I contacted them, like I mentioned earlier, you know, they just sent me the same comments as uh, were contained in that memo. Yeah, it's hard to say exactly how much of this is being stage managed right out of the leader's office versus how scared everyday MPs are from saying something that's going to get them in the crosshairs 
of the cancel culture mob or the legacy media. All of that being said, one of the risks that conservatives run here is that if they don't train their MPs to talk effectively on some of these hot button issues, then it can come out during an election time. Someone will be unprepared for a question or someone will say something that they haven't thought about deeply enough. And then it really will pose them a problem. I think they should be using the time in between elections rather than during the election itself. A nationwide series of parental rights protests Wednesday prompted left-wing politicians to condemn the million-person march as quote-unquote hateful. Prominent politicians supportive of the LGBTQ plus community attacked the nationwide protests as being anti-trans and hateful. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau took to X to condemn the protests, labeling them as a transphobic, homophobic, and biphobic manifestation of hate. Trudeau wrote, quote, Let me make one thing very clear. Transphobia, homophobia, and biphobia have no place in this country. We strongly condemn this hate and its manifestations, and we stand united in support of 2SLGBTQI plus Canadians across the country. You are valid and you are valued, unquote. Meanwhile, in a press conference at City Hall, Toronto Mayor Olivia Chow said that there is, quote, no room for hate in Canada, unquote, and emphasized her commitment to advocating on behalf of the LGBTQ plus community. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh attended the counter-protest to Ottawa's Million Person March, marching with a large Pride Progress flag and chanting pro-LGBTQ plus slogans. And in Wednesday's question period, NDP MP Randall Garrison accused the Million Person March of being anti-trans and making it impossible for transgender children to feel safe. Garrison called on the Trudeau government to join the NDP in condemning the protests prompting a standing ovation from Liberal MPs and a strong statement of solidarity from Women and Gender Equality Minister Marcy Ian. And Liberal MP Andy Fillmore took to X, accusing the protesters of being quote-unquote far-right bozos and being motivated by hate. So Coastman, while the legacy media and leftist politicians have described these marches as fueling hate, The reality is that a large majority of Canadians have real concerns about issues like gender ideology and sexuality being introduced into schools when kids are still very young. And they also reject the idea that parents should be kept in the dark about their own kids or that parents are somehow less fit than teachers to love and support their kids. Do you think this is a case where legacy media have gone completely offside on this issue? Yeah, absolutely. They're out of touch. You know, they're in a bubble and they fail continuously to see the other side. And I think these comments from politicians, it's just another attempt to uh, misrepresent some of the goals this protest has. This wasn't about debating anybody's rights. You know, I don't think uh, a single member of these protests were there to debate the rights of LGBT people. The issues at hand here are, you know, like you said, keeping parents in the dark. Should parents be told if their child is undergoing a gender transition at school? Should they be told if they're deciding to use different pronouns? And this side believes that, yes, uh, parents have a right to be informed and educators shouldn't be hiding information about their children from these parents. 
you know, one of the claims of people counter protesting the march, uh, supporting on the side of LGBTQ plus people is that it's about the mental well-being of children. But part of me thinks, how well can that mental well-being be if children are going to be one gender while at school and in class and then have to take on a completely different gender while at home from their parents because their parents are completely in the dark about these issues. I, I can't imagine that's a recipe for success, that someone wakes up being one gender, goes to school and becomes a different gender, and then comes home and reverts to their first gender. That doesn't seem like a, a recipe for long-term mental health success for kids. What do you think? No, absolutely. You would be living a double life, so to speak. So I, I do think, you know, when you hold up these claims that, you know, and they make really extreme claims They They say that, oh, you know, any any change to policy, like putting an, a limit on pre age 16, you have to inform parents if they're using different pronouns. Uh, a lot of these liberals claim that, oh, this is going to lead to suicides. This is going to lead to the most extreme outcomes when that's not really healthy or adding to the conversation. Like just putting a limit on something doesn't mean that they're uh, we're condemning you know lgbt students to a life where they're not you know uh, who they want to be it's just more about keeping the parents informed at home because uh not you know nine out of ten cases the parents have the best interest of their child at heart i i think you're right and i think that actually is the fundamental issue that when it comes down to it there the idea of seeing parents as a fundamental problem as seeing them as an enemy of their children, it's so different than the reality for the overwhelming majority of parents who love and support their kids. So I think a lot of parents really object to being classified as a problem or as an enemy of their kids because all they really want to do is love and support their kids. Yeah, and I just like to stress, you know, to our listeners, check out True North's coverage of this. I was at the protest uh, in Vancouver and Abbotsford here in British Columbia, we had people at the uh, Toronto protests. So we did a lot of coverage. And if you want to see for yourself what these protests look like, just go to tnc.news or visit our social media on X. We're at True North Center. Indian media is reporting that Sukhdol Singh Gill, who also goes by the alias Sukha Dunek, was shot and killed in Winnipeg on Wednesday in what media is describing as a gang-related murder. Winnipeg police confirmed in a statement that a 39-year-old Sukhdol Singh Gill has been identified as the victim in an ongoing homicide investigation but did not elaborate on his alleged gang connections. On Wednesday, India's National Investigation Agency released a list of 43 individuals accused of being involved in terror or gang-related activities, some with links in Canada. Dunek was ranked number 33 on the list. Ranked number one is Lawrence Bishnoi, whose gang has apparently already claimed responsibility for the killing of Dunek. According to the Times of India, Dunek was a close associate of Arshdala, a man designated as a terrorist by Indian authorities who believed to be hiding in Canada, and is accused of being a member of the Khalistan Tiger Force. That same report says that both Dalla and Dunek were trying to, quote, resurrect the Khalistan Tiger Force after the killing of Hardeep Singh Nijar last June. Canadian politicians have yet to comment on the reported killing of Dunek last night. 
As diplomatic tensions between India and Canada continue to escalate, India announced in a statement that they have suspended all visa services in Canada in response to growing security concerns. This comes after both India and Canada expelled senior diplomats from their respective countries. So William, this is a concerning story coming out of Winnipeg, and I think one of the main questions on my mind is how did this individual get vetted upon entering Canada? You would think that the Canadian you know, immigration services would be aware about some of these connections. Well, I think it's a great point, uh, Kosman, that if you look at public support in Canada for immigration, it actually remains really very high and, and it passes across ideological lines. In fact, immigration used to be not so much a political issue as it was something that was broadly supported by a lot of Canadians. However, as we've seen large numbers of immigrants come into Canada, increasingly large numbers, and groups of, of immigrants coming from places in the world that are facing a lot of violence and turmoil, Canadians are starting to ask, well, what kind of vetting is being done? What kind of background research is being done? Are we sure that the people who we're letting come live in Canada are bringing with them their same violent tendencies and their same, uh, you know, incompatibility with the Canadian way of life. They want to know that they're going to be safe in their communities. So I think it's a real problem that Canada will face as it increases the number of immigrants year after year is, are we doing the kind of appropriate background checks to ensure the safety and security of Canadians? For sure. And, you know, I wonder how much communication goes on between two countries, you know, when it comes to certain red flags that come up. Did Canada ever ask any information from India about this individual? The other thing is, I fear that this conflict uh, is going to cause further problems on this front. I mean, we're, gonna, we're continuing to take immigrants from India, but now we have this diplomatic dispute. So I'm wondering how much is that line of communication affected by this current conflict when it comes to, you know, vetting immigrants? It's a real concern for sure. And the, the question is, are we still working with the Indian government to identify risky people, people who have criminal backgrounds, people who have committed crimes and being aware of that before allowing people to come into Canada? And the question is, I don't know if that process is continuing or has been left unchanged despite the big dispute coming. But obviously, we allowed a Canadian citizen to uh, or someone from India to come here and become a Canadian citizen who the Indian government labeled a terrorist extremist. And that didn't seem to stop the process in Canada. Canada themselves identified them as a threat, but still allowed them to become a Canadian citizen. So I think there's some real questions to be asked uh, by Immigration uh, you know, Services Canada and, and exactly what's being done to safeguard and keep Canada and Canadians safe. That's it for today, folks. Don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And don't forget to share our work with your friends and neighbors. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thank you and have a great day.